Welcome to the Final Score Network and the Final Score Podcast, presented by Team Anders Realtors. I'm Andy. He's former D3 student athlete and co-host... Ryan! Cam! Two-man monster flush! Off the inbound! Ryan Cam Slam Jam! Find us on Podbean, the Apple Podcast Store, Spotify, or anywhere you get your podcasts. Follow us on Twitter at TheFinalScore35. There is always plenty to run through, but before we get to it, a word from our presenting sponsor. Team Anders' goal is to serve its clients in finding the home that best fits their needs and make the process simple and fun along the way. They are a team of people who will be in close communication, personally taking care of your real estate needs through technology, marketing, and advertising. Team Anders has served thousands of clients over 30 plus years in the Grand Rapids, Michigan area, and are here to serve you today. Learn more at teamanders.com. Welcome to TFS pod number 80. A couple things by way of intro. Baker Mayfield gets his wish, gets traded out of Cleveland. What are they going to do if their new QB1 gets suspended, which is still very possible for the whole season? Who's going to be their quarterback? Don't know. We'll get into that later. Speaking of quarterbacks, Zach Wilson, suddenly a legend. As some <laughs> said, the new QB1 for all of the NFL if you don't know what I'm talking about, go look it up. It's a pretty sad slash hysterical slash Stifler's mom situation. All-Star game is coming up. Does anyone care? The Tigers won six, shaved Ramon Santiago's head, and have since lost four straight, including to the Kansas City Royals, who are one of the two teams in the AL that are worse than the Tigers. Go figure. And you wonder why we don't talk Tigers or MLB? 46 days till college football. Anyway, let's go to the podium. Ryan, the lectern is yours. Getting a little warmer. We're heating up the oven, so that's good sports-wise. NFL preseason right around the corner. I think um, Hall of Fame games in three weeks. Hell, I'll watch it. I don't care. It's football. Um, Podium this week. uh, Keep it short. Um... Props to the, to the RNA um, for for their their action. Um, you know the champions dinner for the open this week. Um, they came out. I think it was Saturday afternoon. They said Greg Norman wasn't invited. That's hilarious. Good for them for standing up against him um, and his live tour garbage um, and all all that, that stands for. And he was all pissed about it. And some of his cronies were mad about it. Good. Be mad about it. You don't deserve to be there. You're. you're Trying to grow the game, are you, Greg? No, you're not, you dirty Aussie. Choke job. You suck. I'm glad you're not going to that. Hilarious. Yeah, there's a lot of reasons why. I was always a Greg Norman fan when I was a kid. Had the straw hat and everything, but, yeah, I mean, <clears throat> when you get into the people backing the tour, not even the idea of another tour, fine, whatever, it's all the other stuff that goes with it. Kudos to the RNA for standing up for what they believe in. All right, my podium, huh, shocker, I'll get a little semi-political. And what I want to say is a big middle finger, whatever letter it would be in the alphabet, A, B, C, D, E, F, sixth letter of the alphabet, U, to Brittany Griner. Anybody who doesn't know this story, you can look it up. It's been everywhere. Any liberal media is going to cover it like ad nauseum. Oh, woe is me. I'm a WNBA star, and I'm wrongly 
jailed in Russia during a war. No, you're not, honey. No, you're not. You broke the laws in another country. Whether you agree with them or not, doesn't matter. They're laws. You broke them. You stand against, very clearly, the United States of America, what it stands for, the national anthem. You protest everything U.S. of A. until you want to get your sorry ass bailed out of jail in Russia. Uh Uh-uh, honey. It don't work that way. You're either with us or against us. And in this case, you're against us and you broke the law in a country that is one of our enemies. Sorry for you. Maybe they'll ship ship you to Siberia for 10 years. That's what you're facing. You're going to get what you deserve either way. And if you don't like their justice system, hmm, maybe you shouldn't tread on the one in the United States that would give you a fair shot to maybe get a second chance or a third chance. So I say, shut the you-know-what up, Brittany. And along with that, I'm going to do a double, a double here. What's her name? Oh, rainbow hair for the women's U.S. national soccer team. I saw that she won some Woman of the Year award. Okay, Woman of the Year award to the woman who told parents with little girls who play sports, suck it up, cry to yourself, get over it. Transgenders are here to stay in women's sports. Um, Hello, we're giving this person Woman of the Year? Oh, wait, we gave the transgender Department of Health lead or whatever for the government Woman of the Year as well. I am sickened by what this country is, the people who can tread on it. That's one of the great things about this country is you can have your own beliefs. But when you say stuff like that, you don't deserve awards. And when you break laws in other countries, you don't deserve our bailout support. That's it. Period. End of sentence. Get out. All right. We're going to go to the tee up, which is maybe even a little bit more benign than that. But I'll kind of set this up a little bit, Ryan, and I can talk about it. Ryan just sent me this. I kind of scanned and saw it and had earmarked it to to read later. But those who subscribe to The Athletic, and if you don't, I've got five free subscriptions right now, so hit Ryan up and I can pass those along to you. Um, Trust me, it's well worth the money spent. Don't go looking at ESPN and some of these other rags that are out there. The Athletic's got it. They wrote a story called WikiLeaks. So you've probably heard of WikiLeaks before, um, that whole trial and whatever that went on in mid-20-teens or so. Phenomenal story about how a disgruntled former player, walk-on, coach um, of multiple positions, who did not get retained when Jim Grobe left and their current Dave Clawson was hired, he held a grudge against his alma mater, a school he worked for, that he played for, that he vowed to love, and he leaked their plays to opposing teams. A must-read story. Crazy. He, he, I mean, like special secret plays or whatever, and what tipped it off is he left a binder of plays around. This is like, if this was the New England Patriots, which something kind of signals stealing whatever was happening, it would have been all over the place. But because it's the smallest Division I school in D1 college football, nobody talked about it. This happened in the mid-20-teens. Nobody talked about it until this story. It's a fascinating story. This guy who was turned color commentator was leaking, skunking, as I think Coach Clausen called it, you know, skunked his own alma mater, his own team, his own brothers, guys he recruited for the sake of having a chip on his shoulder because he wasn't retained as a coach. Are you kidding me? Insane. I, I mean, talk about a tee-up. 
No wonder that this guy, he still lives in Winston-Salem, according to the article. None of the other coaches, by the way, who were some high-profile guys, some assistant coaches then that are head coaches now, never punished. You know, we don't... He probably was blackballed from ever coaching in college football, just kind of in the buddy network. But are you kidding me? Stuff like that goes on. Oh, I forgot. But ESPN would rather, you know, pound ad nauseum about how, you know, Larry Nasser was the the bane of Michigan State everything instead of actually covering things that were true in college sports. Huh. Go figure. All right. Enough from me. Ryan. Around the world, or actually, sorry, first down spot number one is yours. It's our weekly MSU preview. This week, it's a trenches report. Take it away. Yep. Um, to to round back to the last couple weeks, we did the backs. We did the receivers slash tight ends, and now we're going to do the trenches. So those that don't know, that's the offensive and defensive line where the game is won um, in the trenches up front. Um, we'll start with the offensive line. Um Big question mark going into 2022, as it's been since 2015, since we went to the playoff. I mean, it's kind of been, you know, who's going to do it? Who's going to step up that, you know, doesn't have much experience? Who's going to be that guy? Um, And we really haven't had someone do that, honestly, in the last five or six seasons. I mean, there have been some guys that have shown flashes, um, but, you know, injuries have... Who's the next Jack Conklin who was a walk-on that turned into an NFL draft pick? You know, like... Yeah, a lot of questions. Yeah, it's crazy. Um, but, yeah, we'll start left tackle. So Michigan State lost a lot on their line. I mean, they, looking back, they lose um, uh, they lose Kevin Jarvis, a right guard, who was a sixth or fifth-year senior last year, um, had a lot of starts. He was kind of Versatile, banged up. played right tackle, uh, played play right tackle. guard. Yeah, he was a pretty good player for, for Michigan State. Lost Matt Allen, who had been there for 30 years. According to our guy Matt that we met, though, a week or so ago, soft, right? Yeah. He said that if Jarvis, actually, if Jarvis actually ever put in the time for the talent that he had, that he would have been all-world. So yeah, that's and a disappointment. Yeah, and then A.J.R. Curry wasn't great at right tackle, but he got drafted last pick in the draft. Um, kind of funny, and then lose a little depth there. But bring back, um, you know, left tackle Jarrett Horst, who was was pretty solid last year. I mean, he was okay. Had a lot of stupid penalties. Mean streak in him for sure. Which definitely is, has that you know play through time. the whistle um, kind of mentality to him. He's I mean, he's got a year of starting in his belt with the Big Ten. So he's banged up at the end of last year. So we'll see what happens. But I think that he, you know, he could be a guy that if he has a decent season could end up being you know all honorable mention all Big Ten, third team, something like that. There's too many really good um, tackles in the Big Ten for him to be first or second. But, um, you know, he's really good there at left tackle, backing him up. Um, I think should be Ethan Boyd. Ethan Boyd, he's a redshirt freshman from East Lansing. I think he's 6'8", really good size, but he has no experience. No experience. He's, he's got the tools. He's got the length, reach. Um, he's got the size, but he has no experience. So we'll see what happens there. Uh, I'd be interested if Horst got hurt. What would happen? You um, got to hope that with Michigan State's defensive line prowess, that some of these young offensive linemen that Ryan's going to talk about will maybe, if they don't have game experience, maybe they'll at least have experience yep. protecting their quarterbacks from some really, really good D tackles and pass rushers that sit on the other side of the trenches. Yeah, completely agree with that. So hopefully, I mean, injuries have been an issue for Michigan State along the the line for years. I mean, every year it seems like one guy has a significant injury and it's patchwork. But I mean, you need to play probably seven or eight guys, you know, rotating around just to, you know, keep guys fresh and whatnot anyway. Um, 
but yeah, then then kind of you know, that third four string um, you know, guy, Braden Miller. So he's he's a freshman, true freshman this year. Um, he comes in from Chicago, or I'm sorry, from Colorado. Um, very underrated recruit. Kind of rose. Mission State kind of found diamond in the rough. He's big. He's a mean streak as well. He's definitely a red shirt. I would think unless. You know they they definitely absolutely need him, but he's a guy down the line to definitely keep an eye on. He's a big kid, um, could be could be a nice player. Um, you know eventually. Um, then left guard, um, a guy that started really since midway through his his freshman year, and now he's freshman senior. year too. Yeah, um, JD Duplain. Um, this guy, I think he is our best offensive lineman. Um, he's got that mean streak to him. He's a good great run blocker. Um, Pretty pretty agile there, guard. He's I think he's about six four, um, so he's got really good size. Yeah, he's six four three oh five. Um, so yeah, he's got good size, great experience. Um, definitely will be the anchor there at left guard. Um, then you have a guy, Gino Vandermark. He was a you know borderline four star in the twenty twenty one class. Um, you know he has potential, but again, no experience. Um, but they think that he'll kind of take that spot as a backup, you know, left or right guard there. Um, and he can he can play, which is good. Um, they say I heard great things, um, you know, from practice last year, reading stuff, um, saying he's really good. And then you got a guy, Gavin Broxius. He comes from Arizona. Um, I think he's one of our best offensive line recruits um, in this in this class of 2022. So he has a chance eventually to be good, but definitely will be a redshirt candidate unless something bad happens. That center. Nick Samak um, also started um, basically on and off since his freshman year. He's now a senior. Another true freshman that played. Yep. He, he's a really good blocker as well. Um, I mean, he's got that experience. He's got you know got that under his belt. Um, he's made some big big blocks in his career, most notably against uh, Michigan in 2020 when he cleared the way for Hayward's game clinching touchdown. Um, He's a good player, um, so hopefully he'll stay healthy because I think he's got a chance to be really good. Then you got a guy, um, you know, backing him up, Dallas Fincher. He's a, I think he's a redshirt sophomore. Yeah, he's a, you know, interior guy, guard, guard center. He's from East Kentwood. Um, pretty big kid, but has no experience other than probably a few special teams reps. Um, so he, hopefully he can, um, you know, provide depth if needed. And then you slide over right guard. Um, got this guy. This guy come in. Um, he was, I think, he was honorable mention Pac-12. Um, made some some watch lists at the beginning of last year. Um, Brian Green uh, came over the summer from Washington State. I think he's his sixth year. He was a former walk-on. Uh, really big guy. He's six three, um, three hundred plus. Um, so he's got he's got that experience. He's played in the Pac-12 in a you know kind of air raid system. Um, so yeah, he's he's, he's going to be good. He'll probably start there right guard. Then then Matt Carrick hopefully he'll play some center too. Yep, he can play center as well. So that's good to have that versatility. Matt Carrick um, comes back from a torn ACL that he I think he got um, in the Indiana game last year. Um, and he's a sixth year guy. He's experienced. He's kind of got a mean streak to him as well. Can play either guard spot. Um, then you got Kevin Wigginton. He registered last year. He's a guard, pretty highly rated out of New Jersey. Um, you know his. Uh, 2021 class, 6'5", so pretty big guard, 330 pounds. Um, then you got Christian Phillips. He's coming in from Georgia. Um, pretty big kid, 6'6", 340, plays guard. Um, that's a that's that's big. Um, definitely a redshirt guy. And that right tackle, Spencer Brown. This guy has the tools to be an all Big Ten tackle. It's just a matter of putting it together. He's agile. He's 
very, very big. Um, you know, he's, he was a good basketball player in high school. He's 6'6", 320. He played pretty well um, in the Peach Bowl. Um, so, you know, he's, he's, he started, he's backed up um, uh, our Curry there a little bit last year. I um, think that he his tools will be really good. Just a matter of putting it together. Hopefully he can do that. Um, then backing him up will probably be Brandon Baldwin. He came last year as a JUCO transfer from Detroit area. Also a really, really big guy. Um, he's 6'7", 320. Um, redshirt sophomore as well. So got a lot of a lot of time left, but no experience. So it's a, the common theme here. Then Ashton Lipo, he's 6'8". Uh, from Grand from Haven Grand High School. Okay, Red, baby. Yep, 6'8", 280, so he probably needs to put on some weight um, coming in. Definitely going to be a redshirt guy. Uh, but that's the offensive line. Hoping for, you know, knock on wood here, um, healthy, um, good season, just staying consistent because that's been an issue. Last year, um, K-9 made them look really good when they probably were below average at right. best. Yep. Um, the move over the defensive side of the ball, Mission State, um, Always has, you know, a very, very, very good run defense. They've had one ever since D'Antonio was there. I honestly plug in the middle, being probably top 15, top 20 in the NCAA, um, and, and rushing yards allowed, all that stuff. And, you know, getting to the quarterback, I think, last year was kind of a struggle, um, you know, and, and that was maybe a reason why our pass defense was bad. We weren't getting there as much. I think, you know, Tuck did a really good job, him and, and, and – uh, Coach Hazelton, and then um, obviously bringing in uh, BT Jordan, um, pass rush specialist to kind of help them out and you know get them. He's a great trainer, and then you got uh, Marco Coleman coming from Georgia Tech. Um, so you got a lot of you know coaches that know a lot about rushing the quarterback, getting there, and you know you got some guys. I mean, you look at the end. I, this this group really excites me. The whole defense really excites me. I'm I'm excited to see how they bounce back from um, an abysmal. Um, display against the past last year. Um, I think you know if they even improve, you know marginally, they're going to be a top thirty defense in the NCAA. And you know you probably win a game like Purdue last year um, and go eleven and one instead of ten and two. And then you maybe you sneak into the Rose Bowl or I don't know what. Michigan stays away from something I don't know. It would have been weird. Um, but DNs, um, a lot of guys. I think the two guys are gonna end up being the starters. Um, Chris Boggle comes from Florida. He's He's a big dude. I can't. I gotta find his height six, here. Six four, six five. He's six four, two forty. He was a four slash five star recruit coming out of high school. He's never really put it all together. Um, but he also played linebacker. Yeah, he Florida, played kind yeah. of out of position. <clears throat> um, now he's gonna play more of a stand up edge rush kind of thing for Michigan State. He's a big guy. Saw him at the spring spring practice. He's got potential. Hopefully, BT can get that out of him. Um, the other guy, Jeff Petrowski, a guy super super undersized, not the Mel Tucker kind of, you know, mold that he likes in a defensive end. He's 6'1", 250, but he's... He's a lunch pail guy. Though, he man. is. He works his ass off. He got... He had some really big plays last year. I was watching some highlights of him. He got to the quarterback a lot. He's strong. He can play, you know, out in space a little bit against screen passes. Um, he forced a fumble, I think, against Nebraska. Mm-hmm. Uh, Reminds me of Kenny Willickus a little bit. Really, I mean, maybe not not as big, but yeah, he does. You know, Kenny kind of worked his way up from nowhere, just as a scrapper, lunch pail, blue collar guy, and that's what this what this kid does. And he's a playmaker. You know, he just finds a way to make plays. Yep, couldn't agree more. So those two are probably going to be the you know the you know first or th- first and second down guys for sure. And then you bring in a guy, Brandon Wright, who at the end of the year. 
He showed former running back, former running back slash fullback. This guy, he's got the bend off the edge. He's he's got quick twitch. He had some against Penn State. He had some plays where he just ran from one side of the field to the other and tracked down guys. Did it against Pitt. He's a bender off the edge. Third down specialist, probably. I would think he's not very big either. He's probably only six two, six three. 240 pounds, but he can he can bend. I like what he can show. Uh, I think he's putting on a little more weight though. Um, excited to see him, and you know what what BT can do with him as well. And then you got you know guys kind of falling behind. Michael Fletcher, um, he's been I think this is his fourth year on campus. He's played a little bit. He's, he's a been a guy. name that comes up every year. And he was a high t- highly produce. tied recruit. He hasn't really done much. He's got the tools. Can he put it together? Hopefully. Um, then you got guys, Avery Dunn, he was a, a redshirt last year. He's a pretty big kid, I think. You know, he's about 6'4", six, 6'5", six, out there, no experience. But, um, you know, again, great trainer, so hopefully that can help. Then you got a guy, um, Tank Brown, who's actually apparently made the switch to linebacker. He's going to be, I think of him as, you know, a, a third-down specialist kind of rush end, um, you know, DN slash linebacker, um, playing his natural position from, from Minnesota before. And then you got... You know, true freshman and Chase Carter, early enrollee um, from from Minneapolis. He's six six two thirty, so put some weight on him, and eventually he'll be good. He's a good basketball player as well. Um, and then you get a guy um, not very highly touted, six four James Shot um, from from Indianapolis area, definitely be a redshirt guy. We think both of them will be, um, you know, at the end. But those, I mean, that's a strong position there for Michigan State. Hopefully, they can um, produce and then de tackle. Is where I my mouth really starts to water because there's literally seven guys that that are going to be really really good and they're going to probably play and there's a chance that Alex Van Summerman who I'll get to in a second um, might redshirt and he's our highest recruit but starters Simeon Barrow Jacob Slade Jacob Slade is probably the most underrated. Um, Football player in America. Um, you look at his stats on Pro Football Focus. He's one of the best run-stopping, um, you know, defensive tackles from last year. He also had like the most pressures out of any defensive tackle. Um, this dude's a stud. He plugs. He's like six four, three hundred and ten pounds. Just an absolute mammoth. Um, just plug in the middle. And borrows kind of the same way. I mean, he's a big boy. Let's see what he was. He six two, two ninety. Uh, plug in the middle. He's a redshirt freshman last year and was really good. Kind of banged up a little bit. Was wearing that club on his wrist a lot of the season. Excited for what those two can do in the middle. Then you got these guys backing up who would probably start honestly a lot of Big Ten schools. Jalen uh, Hunt. He's um, you know really big kid, six four, three twenty. He's he's played um, here and there the last couple of years, shown flashes. Hopefully he can you know remain healthy. And then you got Deshaun Mallory, just massive guy, six two, three hundred pounds. Um, and then you got um, Maverick Hansen, just a mean bruiser in the middle. He's 6'4", 3'10", former offensive lineman. Um, and then you got, um, uh, what's his name, uh, Derek, Derek Harmon. Um, he played last year, actually redshirted. He got four games last year, 6'5", 330, uh, really big kid. And then Alex Van Summerman, um, dude is just a massive human being as well. I mean, you look, look at him, he's... Six three, three hundred pounds, and that was coming out of high school. And, this, and without he's 18, 19 years yeah, old. That's, I mean, that's crazy. without a really good weight program. So, and he's in a. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if he red shirts. Um, like I said before, but he's got a chance to be really good. I think this is Michigan State's, aside from linebacker, strongest position group 
um, you know, on the defensive side of the ball. And then you got Zion Young, um, who'll be a, a true freshman this year, definitely a redshirt um, kind of guy. But down the road, um, you know, could be a, a good player for Michigan State. Um, six, six, five and a half, 230 pounds, kind of could play D end as well. Um, next week, we'll get to the linebackers, which I actually um, feel about the same about the linebackers as I do um, defensive tackles there um, and just the, the excitement um, for that position. Um, but yeah, super, super um, excited for the, the trench to see how those shake out um, and see how uh, both of them you know, bounce back and you know, try to be better than last year. Really strong up the middle on both sides of the trenches. Interior is so great. The interior line, um, again, not a ton of depth for Michigan State, but you've got your most seasoned veterans there. Um, you know, plus then you bring in Brian Green, who's a sixth-year guy. So you're two guards in center on offense, and then your slew of of depth at D tackle. You hope that kind of the similar process can happen for the offensive side, um, that some of these young linemen can get a chance to to get in there, get some reps in the early games. You know, they're not necessarily complete cupcakes, but they're their opportunities, Akron and Western Michigan, to, to get some playing time, to get a rotation established, to get some of these guys who are facing these great defensive linemen in practice every day to get out there and get actual game reps. So uh, it'll be really interesting to see how that goes. And I think as Ryan will continue next week, Michigan State's strength lies in the middle of its defense too, from um, the D tackles, the linebackers, to the to the safeties as well. So moving on to second down. So last week, the plan was come back this week having done some homework. Now, usually I will say, we usually do a bracket for second down. We've scrapped the bracket this week. We'll give you a little bit of a break from our our bracket contest. We're bringing back Mount Rushmore for third down. So um, apparently Ryan informs me he did not do his homework. He thinks that, you know, because he's fresh out of college, he's done all of his homework. He doesn't need to do it. Now, and I railed last week on other podcasts, TikTokers, whatever that proclaim to be you know studying the game and they give you their predictions and stuff I guarantee you they do not have and you can't see it because we're on a podcast but I have front and back of two pieces of paper of notes of what I'm about to unveil to you yes I did two and a half hours of homework I would say last week on conferences so we're going to start with tier one let's call it tier one last week we referred to it as tier one tier two I'm thinking two conferences. There's an SEC and there's a Big Ten, and each one has four six-team divisions. So not unlike the the NFL with the AFC and NFC, very similar. Before I get into the teams, just because somebody will ask, certainly how do you schedule this? How are they ever going to play all of the teams? I kind of figure it'll really take about 12 years to cycle through everybody in your in your conference, if you will. Um, Love it, hate it, whatever the case may be, it is what it is. That's what happens when you get two mega conferences. So we are going to land at, as I suggested last week, 48 teams, 24 in each conference. You're going to play five, all five teams in your division. So you're going to rotate them on a home and away basis every year. You're going to have one protected cross-division rival. So let's just say, you know, as we'll get in the example, Michigan and Ohio State, for example, are not in the same and they're not in the same division, they would still get to get the rivalry protected. So that's six games. You're going to play three other teams in your conference, and then you're going to play three teams from the other conference. So three SEC, So in the SEC, you're going to play three Big Ten games and vice versa. 
that's how you get to 12 games. The way the playoffs are going to work, we'll get to that after I go through the teams. There would be 16 games max. That's quote-unquote been an issue for some of these conference commissioners. Like, oh, we don't want our guy. Whatever. You want money. 16 games max. That's one less than the NFL. That's regular season. So I think we'll be totally fine. You got the month of December off for most of these kids anyway. That's when all the bowls can happen. Um, And actually, let's get to it. I have 12 playoff teams using 11 bowl games. You can rotate how you want to use these, but for the traditionalists, the Rose Bowl, the Fiesta, the Sugar, the Orange, the Cotton, the Peach, and then the Alamo, the Citrus, the Tampa, which is formerly known as the Outback, the Las Vegas because of its proximity to Vegas, and the Gator Bowl are your 11 bowls that represent the playoffs. You get a couple teams with buys, works out. Your max run, I think, is something like, let's see, i got to look on my piece of paper. Your max run would be if you were in the wild card and then you got to the divisional, then you got to the semi, then you got to the final, you'd have to win four games. So a wild card might have to win four games. Not too dissimilar from the NFL playoffs. So that's kind of the semantics of how it will work, how I thought about this. You know, we've got the current SEC and the current Big Ten certainly as a starting point. Um, I've got kind of two slight variations in the differences. I personally am going to give you my first what I think should happen, um, but then I'm going to give you probably what's more realistic because I don't know that teams that are currently there are really truly going to give up the kind of coin that they're going to get. So let's start with the SEC. And you're going to see where I kind of cherry-picked teams. I didn't name these these divisions within the conference, so let's just say SEC 1, 2, 3, 4 for now. So SEC 1, Georgia, Florida, Tennessee, South Carolina, North Carolina, West Virginia. SEC 2, Clemson, Miami of Florida, Florida State, three ACC teams currently, Kentucky, Louisville, and I'm going to go with Missouri here, but the caveat is... That's assuming Vanderbilt will want nothing to do with Tier 1 because they can't compete and would want to go down to Tier 2 where I think they would fit better. Again, this has nothing to do with basketball. This is strictly for football. Um, that's I think, is the preferred. But if Vandy said, no way in hell, we're staying in because of the cash, then I'm sorry, but Missouri, you're out. just happens to work that way with the math. SEC 3. Talk, look, at this, look at this division within the SEC. Alabama. Arkansas, Auburn, LSU, Ole Miss, and Mississippi State. It's pretty much like the SEC West now, but that would be a heck of a of a division within the conference. And SEC four, Texas, Texas A and M, Oklahoma, Oklahoma State, Colorado, and Arizona State. So Arizona State's a little bit of an outlier. You could maybe argue that they could pop out of this. Maybe they could pop into the Big Ten. I still think Vandy goes down to tier two. But if somebody's got a slide, I'm just saying Missouri because that's kind of how I had things slotted. Um, debatable. Maybe just do 25 teams in each conference. Mm-hmm. That kind of screws things up a little bit, but you could do that if you needed to. Moving to the Big Ten. Again, one, two, three, four. No legends, leaders, east, west, north, south, none of that stuff. But you can kind of tell proximity-wise where your main division foes would be. Big Ten one, Ohio State, Penn State, Rutgers, Maryland, Pitt, and Boston College. So you pick up two ACC teams there. Get some natural rivalries as you're kind of seeing through here. Big Ten 2, Michigan, Michigan State, Indiana, Purdue, Illinois, and Notre Dame. And this is where that's an example of why we would do, you know, one protected cross-conference rival. 
Big Ten three, Minnesota, Nebraska, BYU in place of Northwestern, Utah, Iowa, and Wisconsin. Now, Northwestern, very much like Vanderbilt, phenomenal academic school. Not that other schools like Michigan and such aren't great academic schools, but Northwestern is an academic school. They're never going to compete for a national championship in football at this level. They don't even, they've made like one NCAA tournament in the last however many years or ever in basketball. So my thought is that BYU is the team that would slot out if Northwestern kicks and screams and throws a fit. But I really like adding BYU. You get a little little uh, BYU-Utah in there. Um, again, there's there's teams, as you can see through these two, that maybe could float either way. But again, too, for the Big Ten homework-wise, these schools fit the academic profile of the Big Ten. They have to be AAU schools, not AAU as an AAU basketball. Right. Big Ten 4 is basically Pac-12 light. USC, UCLA, Washington, Oregon, Stanford, and Cal. So the way I looked at it, when I looked at what's on paper now, there were 25 immediate sure things for me when I looked at this. And there were about 29 maybes. Um, so that I was working from 54 teams to get down to 48. So clearly there's some big schools in there that I left out. So where do they end up? We'll go quickly so we don't hog the whole podcast for this. The new Big 12. Well, let's start this way. Tier 2, we're going to actually, I'm going to add a couple of teams. I'm going to add three teams to get to 84, and there's going to be six 14-team conferences. They're going to have an eight-team playoff, so all six conference winners plus two wild cards using seven bowl games. The Sun Bowl, the Liberty, Music City, Pinstripe, Cheez-It, Holiday, and the Duke's Mayo Bowl. Again, mostly based on location, not necessarily anything you know great shakes in terms of the history of those bowls some of them are pretty new so your new big 12 iowa state texas tech baylor kansas kansas state tcu all existing big 12 teams plus houston smu tulane north texas rice utep utsa and texas state so the very texas flavor there in the big 12 the new acc duke wake nc state uva Vatech, Georgia Tech, all existing. East Carolina, Old Dominion, Vanderbilt, this is where I have them moving. Um, Charlotte, Coastal Carolina, Appalachian State, Georgia Southern, and Georgia State. In the AAC, Memphis, UCF, USF, FIU, Florida Atlantic, Middle Tennessee State. I have Tulane in here twice, I guess. Um, Tulane actually in there. I can't remember which one. I think I actually meant to have them in AAC. Southern Miss, Troy, Louisiana, Arkansas State, UL Monroe, South Alabama, and Louisiana Tech. The MAC. Yes, the MAC schools make it into Tier 2. And that is the MAC as it exists. Akron, Ball State, CMU, EMU, WMU, Ohio, Bowling Green, Kent State, Miami, Toledo, Northern Illinois, Buffalo. And then add back two teams that were in the MAC for a while. Temple and Marshall. The new Pac-12 has some current Pac-12 teams, so Washington State, Oregon State, and Arizona, and then picks up a bunch of new ones. Boise basically absorbs the, um, the what is it called, the West, not the... Mountain West. Mountain West. Boise State, New Mexico State, Fresno State, Hawaii, Nevada, New Mexico, San Diego State, San Jose State, UNLV, Wyoming, and Utah State. And then Conference USA, I kept that as a conference. You'll kind of see why a little bit name-wise. But 
This is where I slot Army, Navy, Air Force, Colorado State, UConn, UMass. This is where I have Northwestern falling for football, Liberty, Western Kentucky, Syracuse. So one of those current tier ones that falls. Cincinnati, another current, you know, on the rise tier ones that falls and would legit have a chance to dominate. North Dakota State, South Dakota State, and Northern Iowa. Those three, last three, are ones that are currently in FCS that I would move to get to 84. So you have 48 teams in Tier 1. You have 84 teams in Tier 2. You could break it apart in a million ways. I literally chicken scratched this out, scribbled this out on paper, and this is what I came up with. There's a lot of arguments that could be made for why not this school instead of this school. Why maybe Colorado not in the Big Ten versus the SEC. You could argue until the cows come home. This is the closest thing that I could come up with. Now the question is when. I think we talked about last week. Just as last year, Texas and Oklahoma happened and everybody was kind of on the edge of their seat waiting, 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 and nothing happened. I think we're kind of seeing how that's playing out this year. USC, UCLA news hits a couple weeks ago. Everybody's on the edge of their seat. Oh, Notre Dame's next. Super Conference next. Yes, I, Nick Saban even had a in a press conference today, or recently was on The Athletic, said he thinks that college football is absolutely moving to two mega conferences. It's just a matter of when. And Notre Dame's not going to go anywhere until their hands are forced. And when their hand is forced, it's going to make the most sense for them to go to the Big Ten. Um, I, here's the thing is, if you look at it, and I try to kind of give the SEC a little bit of geographic footprint too, but the Big Ten, even the way it exists now as 16 teams with USC and UCLA coming in, they have the number one, New York, number two, LA, number three, Chicago, number four, Philadelphia, markets square in their sights and then and where they play um, media markets, that is, already. So Atlanta's in there as like maybe number five or so. So some of the South, Dallas, you know, so some of the SEC gets that. That's very rich history or whatever. I personally think, you know, you got things like the ACC deal with ESPN and TV goes through 2036. Hey, contracts are meant to be broken. It could happen if the right things happen. My prediction would be in 2025, so give it, you know, a couple, three-year cycle of, of seasons, this is when we're going to really start to hear about this. And it probably doesn't come into play until like 2028. So we're a little ways off of this, but we're creeping in that way. Um, I think it's, it, it, like I said last week, it's time for traditionalists. You can hate it as much as you want, but to embrace it, there's ways to kind of bring the tradition into it. Um, there's ways to maintain and protect rivalries. Will you play everybody in your conference all the time? No. But that's not going to happen even if you have 16 teams or 18 teams. It's just, it's just not. Logistically, it's not possible. So adopt what works for the NFL and just flat out own Fridays and Saturdays. Put, you put your Tier 2 on on Thursdays or Tuesdays, like Maction Tuesdays or whatever they mm-hmm. have on ES. Whatever. Tier 2 is still going to get TV time. There's still big conferences. There's still big schools that have rich histories. They're just going to actually have a chance to win their national championship in Tier 2. And I personally don't think there's a problem with that if I'm one of those schools, to be honest. Because not a one of those schools that I moved would have a legitimate chance at a national championship. You could say, oh, yeah, Andy, but what about Cincinnati? Well, we saw Cincinnati last year. They had a phenomenal season. They made the playoff, and they got smoked by Alabama, who didn't even win the national championship. So... If you got questions, if you agree, if you disagree, if you want to debate, come on, come on board. Let us let us know via 
my TikTok via Ryan's Instagram or his Twitter or our, our the Final Score Twitter or through text or whatever, we'd be happy to have you come on, share yours. I know, Chris, you shared kind of your thoughts on what you thought the conferences would shake out to be, at least the teams that would be in it. Um, plenty to debate here. It's not going to go away. That's all we got to say about that. Yep. All right, moving on to third down. We're going to go back to Mount Rushmore. As you recall, last week we slotted in the original conference talk in third down, and we took a week off of Mount Rushmore. But as we previewed last week, we are going to bring you this week the hardest holes, golf holes, in West Michigan. So, right, I think we, I did my homework. I know that we may have some that are similar. We did not talk about this at all. Nope. Um, you go first, and we'll just go back and forth, and we'll come up with each well, of our own four. The hole that I... I'm looking at, oh, it's not I'm looking, I'm looking at the course of the hole that, of one of the holes, and that's number five at Boulder Creek. Number one handicap on this golf course. Number one most hated hole in my heart. Always has been, always will be. Uh, 393 from the blues. Very difficult. Tight sloping, dog leg, dog right, leg right, yeah. Up, down, uphill, the downhill, the uphill. Pretty small landing area. It's impossible. I East Northland tell. Drive, Wolverine East Beltline kind of. Well, on the other side of trees, but on the left, boulders and hill and bad stuff on the right. Yeah, it's a joke. It's not a... I mean, if I've played this course, we've lived here 20 years. I ran a golf league that played here for like seven years. If I've played that hole, I don't even know what's fair to say in 20 years at least. times? Yeah, at least an average of 15 times a year. I mean, probably when you average it all out. I mean, maybe five pars out of 250 times oh, if I played it. Maybe. Never. I'd maybe. Never, never a birdie. I'm lucky if I get a bogey. I shoot for bogey on the hole. It's like last time we played it, this last week, I striped my drive and I caught it just a smidge left. It wasn't even that I pulled it or hooked it. I just was maybe aimed a little left to play a cut, caught a tree, knocked it straight down. I still had 300 yards out. I mean, it's, it's ridiculously difficult. So that's a good choice. All right, so my first one. Number five, my nemesis, Thornapple yeah, Point. I had that too. Par five, 613 from the Blues, 597 even if you're playing the Whites. Double dog leg, very generous driving, you know, landing area to the right for sure. Although I put it in, I topped it into the weeds the last time and had to play a lost ball, so I'm hitting three from there. Um, but there's tall grass and bunkers all down the left side. Once you get past that first shot, the river comes into play on the right. It gets very narrow in the landing area for your second shot. There's a giant tree that kind of guards the dog leg. Um, the green is not you know, overly tough, but it's really long from front to back. So, I mean, this puppy can play closer to 630 if everything is like back-back. Um, the tees are back. The, the flag is back. Um, I don't know, honestly, that I've ever parred that. I got an eight yeah. or a nine the last time. I mean, it's it's a it was a two penalty pickup hole for me. I think the last time is or maybe three. No, it was a three penalty pickup hole. It's just like if you flare it right off your second shot, doink, you're in the river. If you hook it left, which I did on one shot, you might lose it in the tall grass, or you may have to hack it out and hope that you keep it in the fairway and not over in the garbage or on the river on the other side. I mean, it's it is ridiculous. Number five, Thornapple Point is my first choice. We just go back and forth. Go ahead. Okay. Um, um, I'll do 
It's number one at Pilgrim's Run, Pleasant Arbor. Never do well in that hole. I love that hole. That's, That's a great. It's a double great dog hole. leg too. Another double hard, dog leg. Really hard. It's long. Tree guarding on Par the second five, dog trees leg. Trees everywhere. Yeah. Big bunkers. There's a huge waste area kind of in front of the green if you want to go over it and usually don't end up doing well. Or if that. you flare it right, yep, you're there's in trouble. Woods, there. There's woods left. <clears throat> yeah, it's pretty tight and not not easy. Um, yeah, that's I think that's the hardest hole there, honestly. That, that's a good choice. So I'm going to go to a course that we have not played in a long time, and it's specifically because of this hole. Number six at Cedar Chase. Number six at Cedar Chase. 517 yards, so not awfully long for a par five. Another double dogleg. There is water, which I forgot until I looked at the scorecard again today. There's water in play right off the tee. And I mean like from about the 200 mark all the way to like 330. So if you cut it at all. And oh, by the way. Yeah. That's this is the tightest hole that I think I've ever played on just like a course in West Michigan. I mean, it's double dogleg and it is trees stacked on top of you. There's not much room for the rough. If you do not drive the ball precisely, you're in trouble. And it's not like you can take, like if you're a big cutter, you can't just take it way left because you're going to hit it in the woods. Or if you hit a big hook, you can't take it way right, you're going to hit it in the woods. So you've either got to bunt your way, you got to pray that you actually catch one straight on the screws, there's a lot of things that can go wrong on that hole, and the first few holes are pretty decent. They're you know benign enough that you're like, oh, okay, I could have, I could put up a good nine, and then wham, this hole just absolutely slams you in the face. Number six at Cedar Chase and Cedar Springs. Yeah, that's a tough one. Um, uh, this one uh, I've only played here a couple times recently because it's so hard. Quail Ridge. Number five. It's literally like a horseshoe. Oh, yes. How did I forget Four that hole? It's another hole that's been on our no-no list five, because of how poorly I played there. I'm sorry. Only 478 from the whites, but it's literally like a horseshoe almost. And you got There's a landing area. Small, uh, wide to the left fairway. Then the right, there's uh, waste area slash wetland. Then you have to lay up um, to like uh, an area. And there's a creek in front of the green. The green all slopes forward. Um it's crazy. There's choice. woods everywhere. It's always wet. Not an easy hole. No, it's literally like a U shape. It's crazy. Yeah, it kind of entices you to try to like cut off as much of the corner <laughs> as you can. But there's like you know cattails and reeds that are yep. eight feet high. That you, if you get too close to that, you've got to get it up over this yeah. into a and land it before the creek because you don't have enough club to get it to the green. Is that's that's a good choice. I did not really think much about that because like Cedar Chase, it's on the on the naughty list mm-hmm. for courses. Um, my third one for me. We just played it this weekend on Sunday. Um, number 16 at the Mines, 456-yard yep. uphill par 4. Um, usually plays into the prevailing wind. Wide landing area, but unless you hit 275-plus into that prevailing wind, you have a blind uphill second shot of over 200 yards. I mean, I smoked my drive the other day and hit it maybe like 255, maybe, and still had 205-ish-plus uphill um, you know, which is going to deal de- off your club and make your three hybrid into more like a four iron type of thing. Um, huge fairway bunkers on the right, and one or two of those, or I think there's three of them, and one or two of them, unless you're way, way back in the back, and even then, there's no way you're taking a low iron out of there. You know, you're not, you're laying up. It's a pitch out. I mean, it's it's a true penalty, which bunkers really, in my mind, should be. Um that hole is brutal. I said to myself Sunday when I'm playing, I'm just like, man, you got to make hay on 10 through 15. 
and I was coming off of a triple bogey on a short par three steaming because I knew just to come in bogey, bogey, bogey would have been good. And actually, I came in bogey, par, bogey, so it worked out. But um, that is not usually the case for me. That was one of the few times I've semi-conquered that hole. I don't know that I've ever parred it. But that is a, it's a great hole, but it's super difficult. Yeah. Um, tough. I had that one in there. I, I've been down to two. Um, I'll go number 14 at Kaufman. Trees. Oh yeah, I thought about that one too. Dog, yep. Like left a little bit. Very Saskatoonish with yeah, the white pines. White pines. If you hit the ball dead straight, you're screwed. You have to hit a draw, and I can't hit a draw. So, and you can't try to cut it really either because you start off the pine up, trees. There's trees. Um, right. Pretty long par four. Um, yeah, elevated. It's a beautiful golf hole. Um, but yeah, really yeah, that's a that's a difficult one. That's a good choice. Uh, my number four, um, of course, that we play probably the most frequently on our rotation these days is number 11 at Makatawa, 589 par 5. And what makes it so difficult, there's ample room to the left. I mean, if you go too far left, you get into the tall grass, but there's a lot of room left. There's water the entire right side from probably 50 yards out all the way up to the green. And really a lot of the fairway that's, if you're right center or a little smidge right of right center you're at the mercy of the bounce you get or if you hit a pile of goose poop or whatever because in some way shape or form a ball ends up in the water ryan had this the last time we played it i've had it a million times the water there is a magnet it's a long hole trying to think of what direction it goes usually the wind is kind of at your back it's going east so that's helpful because it's always windy out there um Super difficult hole. Very easy to take one or two penalties. Um, probably one of the only ponds on that golf course that's not all sandy that you can just find your ball and grab it with your old man ball retriever like Ryan has. But um, that's definitely been a nemesis hole. And I came up with a bonus hole. Or I don't know if you want to share a fifth one. Um, I'm going to go back to Pilgrim's Run. Valley of Humility, number 16. 412-yard par 4. Well, slight dog leg right, water and play the whole way right um, off oh, the yeah. tee. You have woods and sand left. I mean, there's some room over there, and it's pretty narrow if you want to if you go too far left center. And if you go right center or right at all, there's it looks like it's huge, but everything hard slopes to the water. So you can catch one good, but you're if you catch it good, you're hitting the down slope and you're bouncing into the pond, and then you've got about you know probably. Because of where you're going to drop on your line of sight, you got two plus over that water to get to a kind of diagonal green that's pretty close to the water and the reeds on the other side. So that's probably my my number five honorable mention. I had number two at uh, Mac on there because I just hate that one. That's a tough one too. Yeah, kind of a a similar par five is number eleven. Water all down the right. You can find your ball in that water, but yeah, usually straight into the teeth of the wind. It's a long hole, five fifty plus, I think. Bunkers on the left if you want to try to cheat it left. Tall grass further left. Yeah, that's that's definitely a tough one. Tough one for sure. All right, so there you have it. Our Mount Rushmore of toughest golf holes in West Michigan. All right. Speaking of golf, we're going to go to fourth down, which is golf. Um, we've got our last major of the year coming up this week. Ryan's going to give us a contest update. I've got our usual couple questions of the week. So, Ryan, we'll start. How did we do at the, I didn't, I mean, I at the Scottish? I don't think did I you did. have? I, I had Homa. He made the cut. Hovland was garbage. Yeah, I had Neiman and um, 
who else have Neiman and um, <coughs> excuse me, Fleetwood. I don't think they did. Shoffley won his third third of his last seven starts and actually second yeah. start in a row. White hot, um, great looking golf course. Didn't see a ton of that, but. And I don't remember who it was, but one of my favorite things is CBS always runs through their highlights. There was a guy who was minus five on the 17th hole for the weekend, and that's a par three. Hit like some outrageous 80-plus foot typical Scottish British Open type putt, snaking, winding, undulating to make a birdie on Thursday. Hole in one Friday. Stuffed it to like two feet, almost made a hole-in-one on Saturday, tapped in for birdie, and made like a 12-footer for birdie on Sunday. Unreal to go five under on a par three for the weekend. Um, I, I just can't remember who it was per se, but um, great tune-up. Uh, first partner thing with the DP World Tour, which is the former European PGA Tour. Yep. Uh, first partner event between the two. It's kind of interesting to hear Jim Nance calling, a, you know, calling uh, golf in Scotland. You don't hear that very often. Um, he and Sir Nick, but a uh, good good tune-up and precursor to this week. And yeah, shot of the wait. weekend, though, Mr. Zaltoris missed the cut, but one-in-a-million shot, Doc. Chips from across the green and lands on top of and stays on Matt Fitzpatrick's Harbortown Lynx poker chip ball mark. Unbelievable that the odds of that happening, and then Zaltoris missed the cut good anyway. That's kind of your... Your update from the from the Scottish okay, Open. I lied. My guys finished combined twentieth. Oh yeah, yeah my guys well, I didn't. didn't know. I thought, I thought they didn't, but then your guys finished. Homa finished. He bogeyed the last hole. He finished sixteenth, I think. So, yeah. um, so not a great weekend. But all right. So before we get into the British Open stuff, let's go for. I got a couple questions of the week for you. If you had to dump one club from your bag and never replace it, so go down to thirteen clubs. Which club would it be and why? Uh, probably my lob wedge because I don't use it anyway. <laughs> that, that was pr- probably easier for you than I thought. Man, I was thinking about this as I came up with a question. It would be tough because I don't use my lob wedge as much as I used to, but when I use it, I'm usually I've chipped in with it like three or four times this year. Like I use it in strategic places. I use my sand, my gap. I probably use my gap more than any wedge in my bag. Oh, man, that's tough because... I guess I would probably say my four hybrid. That's the newest club in my bag. It's more of a an iron. It's not your true hybrid. It's got the graphite shaft and stuff, but it's got an iron head. Um, I hooked the hell out of it, so I'd probably tend to put that in the bag. I don't use it for much else of anything else. You know, you could use your. I could use my three hybrid to to bump and run around the green. I had my hole in one with that, so I'm not going to get rid of that. I'm striping that this year. I have to say my four hybrid. Um, I think I could either choke down on the three or. Or just really get after a five or, or just get close to the green and, and chip up. Yep. All right, second question. How much would you pay to ride that mega plane, the LIV tour, Zero. transports players and caddies on? All right, what if it wasn't related to the LIV? That looked pretty I lit on that thing. Just too expensive. If you haven't seen the video, you got to look it up. I don't even know what kind of, it's probably like an Airbus Dream 787 or whatever, but it's just like strip club except for it's all dudes on an airplane. I mean, it's it's pretty insane Uh, i tend to agree anything live tour i'm sorry i don't necessarily have a problem as we've said here before with sharing or having a competitive you know tour if you really think that's the answer like football's tried it forever and it just never works i have a philosophical problem with where the money comes from 
and with the guys that are going there, just flat out, like JT says, like Billy Horschel says, not just telling the truth and saying, I'm going because of the money, right? So Tiger whatever. Too. So yeah, Tiger really ripping on them. All right, let's get into our open preview, Ryan. The 150th, Ooh. now they refer to it more as the open. We would call it the British Birth Open. Birthplace of golf. Birthplace of golf, St. Andrews. Um, you know, is the course, you know, too gettable? I read a great interview so. with Jack Nicholas. Like, if it's hot and dry like it has been and, you know, balls can run for 350 to 400 yards on the fairway, are they going to rip it up and shoot 30 under? Who cares if they do, right? It's the, it's the birthplace of golf. It's historic. It's amazing that it can still host majors when it was built in the 1500s. Like, I just, I I think it's, it's, there's great courses on the open rota, but it's the best. And it's appropriate that it's number 150 that's there. Um, I'm, I'm looking forward to it. I, you know, I, don't, I feel like there haven't been like the typical old school British Open conditions in a while. I don't, I haven't looked at the weather for, yeah, I've got the for weather St. Andrews right but. here. Um, Thursday, 66. 10 to 15 mile an hour wind, 20, 25 gusts. Okay. Uh, small possibilities of rain, likely rain dry. Friday, um, uh, let's see, more, more of a chance of rain in the morning. Um, very breezy um, throughout the day. It looks like wind is west, southwest, so that means it's going to be across for a lot of the most of those, except for I think 1 and 18. That's one will be um, into the wind, 18 down. Um, and be 66 then as well. Um, and then Saturday and Sunday um, looks like a beautiful weekend. Warmer, probably low 70s. Um, weather blowing in there, but you know, windy, probably 20, 25 mile, mile an hour winds. Um, so yeah, not your no rain, no sideways. But the winds, rain. the winds could you know, with a hard, dry course with wind, sometimes is tougher than a than a wet windy course because at least the wet course is your the ball's going to stick in places right so could get pretty baked out especially in that wind so yeah it'll be it'll be fun to watch this tells you anything max holma said that he has never i'm sorry will zalator said he has never written more down in his in his yardage book because of just how much hidden how many hidden bunkers are where to carry to Mm -hmm. um you know where to lay up where to not trivia why are they hidden because it can be played backwards like the loop well, not even not. It was originally routed the other way, the other way yeah. like the loop is. It could be played backwards. It could be. They haven't. I don't think they do that anymore. But it could be. But um, so lots of hidden things and a very interesting. I guess I forgot this until I read a good interview with Jack Nicholas on how special the course is. But very much a um, aim left, miss left golf course. Like your trouble is pretty much to the right. Um, you know, your big trouble is to the right. Of the golf course, which you know, a lot of players are faders or, or more of cut players, and, and so they've got to adjust how they play and, and hitting away from bunkers. And some of those bunkers are definitely like they're supposed to be their penalties and their pitch out sideways type of bunkers, um, or they're barely advanced, advanced down the fairway type of bunkers. So, um, I'm looking forward to it. I really don't care if the final, you know, I think when Shrek won it, it was like 20 or 18 or 19, or you know, something, something high. So, I don't think it's going to be that high anyway. I, I would imagine the 15 to 16 range probably. Yeah, that's um, And I have no problem with that. On most weeks on the tour, it's that way. And, again, this is a course that is withheld, you know, the test of time. So, all right, Ryan, so let's get into um, our picks. Um, who's your foursome and, and kind of why? Um, well, I'll start off by saying this. I think there's a lot of guys that can win 
um, this week for sure. Um, Who will be this year's man bun? <laughs> hopefully... Hopefully no one from Jean Van Der Velde. I don't care who wins as long as it's not a live guy. I agree with that. Um, Captain agrees. Can Tiger turn back the clock? My gut says no, but my heart wants it to happen. I think that he can. I mean, he's he knows this course. He's won twice here. Um, I think he can play decent. It's a matter of can his leg hold up. It's a pretty um, flat course, so that you know definitely will help him. He just doesn't get I watched some video. Man, he looks like. I mean, ancient in his swing. Like he doesn't, he can't power through to that left leg anymore because he almost lost it in that car accident. Um, but you don't. I mean, with the way the course is going to be firm, it's I'm more. Gonna it's it's it. going to be more about strategy yeah, that's, anyway. That's what I love about it. You know, so, you, isn't, isn't some bull crap where you can gouge and go like Bryce? Yeah, you style. see names like Kisner and stuff that are up there in some of the betting you can sites put that it are irons and be okay yeah. as long as right. the pins aren't wicked locations. Um, but yeah, I, honestly, my foursome. Pretty stereotypical. Pretty typical. I mean, Shoffley, I think he's the hottest golfer right now. Um, you know, not named Scotty Scheffler. Um, you know, he's obviously won two in a row. He's playing well. Just one down the road. Um, wouldn't be surprised if he wins. Rory, he's played well in every major. He's played well this year, um, and he's won a one in twenty fourteen. So, and he's from over there, so he knows. Um, and I got my man John Rahm. He's always up there in in majors, it seems, and. Um, you know, he can play really, um, you know, in any conditions, um, any style of course. Um, then Shane Lowry, um, Irishman, won in 2019, great links player. You're going with all, all the big-name favorites, I would say. Um, so for me, I, it's hard to argue with any of those guys that Ryan picked. Um, I'm going with Tony Fino. Actually, sneaky stat, he's like one, he's of, the, well in the one of the better par-4 players in statistically in Lots his par open. Fours. Open years, um, I don't know if I would if I'll bet on him to win. I will play some bets for this, but I will probably top five him for sure. Um, probably not to win just because he finds a way not to win. Often it's kind of like Harold Varner, another guy that I'd love to see do well. Not yeah. in my foursome, by the way. Uh, Matt Fitzpatrick, U.S. Open winner from England, playing extremely well. I think he did pretty pretty well last week at the Scottish Open. He understands it. He's playing great golf. He's super consistent. Um, hits greens, can putt pretty well, so I've got Fitzpatrick in there. I'm going to go with Jordan Spieth. He's a little bit of a wild card just because his putting can be so erratic, but I think over there where things run slower on the stimp, um, even if it gets a little bit baked out, that can kind of cover some of his sins, if you will. Um, He's been playing better and better lately, I would say, and he has the history of having won uh, an open um, so I've got him on my list. You know, he's one of those feaster famine guys. He could win it or he could miss the cut. Um, and then kind of more of my sneaky wild card guy, more of a local Seamus. I haven't picked him in a while, but I love Seamus power. Um, I kind of purposely stayed away from the obvious Scheffler, Burns, Shoffley, Rom, McElroy, because it almost seems too obvious. Um, for Shoffley, it's just it's hard to see somebody winning three weeks in a row. Not it can be done, um, certainly. Shuffler did it, yeah. I mean, it can be done, and he's hot enough to do it right now. Um, but the field is fantastic. I echo the remark: just not a live golfer, please. I, my, don't, I just don't. My dark it. horses are Adam Scott, great iron player. Mm-hmm. Mackenzie Crappy Hughes, putter, but great iron player. Um, and Morikawa, look, look down. I, he's not even a dark horse. He's I think he gets he's a very good chance he's definitely to win. Kevin Kisner, 
Um, you know, you can, you can play that style um, a little bit. Um, I'm just looking down this list here at the at the tee times here. Um, um, let's see here, Fratelli, Uncle Tom's favorite guy. Yeah. He's actually a bit of a dark horse. Aaron Wise, a really good putter. Somebody um, like Fratelli rises up for these things. He's like he could be this year's Russell man Henley. Bun. He's played well. And if you wonder, Man Bun, he's the French dude that was up there in the leaderboard through I think Saturday last year yep. and had a man bun which I absolutely can't stand. I wanted to take a pair of hedge clippers. Wouldn't be to surprised it. if a guy like Terrell Hatton plays well. He's you know from over there. Eric Green mm-hmm. guys like that. Um, maybe David Duvall will make some noise. One of the, my favorite majors to watch because it's literally get up in the morning on Saturday and Sunday, make coffee sit there, don't shower until like 1.30, and then the coverage is done, then you can go out and play golf or you can still have your day. Unlike, you know, the U.S. Open, especially when it's on the West Coast and you're sitting there watching TV all day on a beautiful Saturday in Michigan, which, you know, we only get so many months of great weather and, and summer in Michigan has been fantastic so far this year. So I am looking forward to it. I'm going to be batching it this weekend anyway. Ryan's going up north, playing a lot of golf. The girls are going to a concert in Chicago. So it's just me and the pups. We're going to be watching lots of British Open golf. All right, that is our four downs for the week. So let's get to our sprint. A couple more related type of questions. Um, touched on it maybe a smidge here, Ryan, but sprint number one, how does Tiger fare this week at I the Open? I think he'll make the cut. I don't know what beyond that. I think he'll phase out in the weekend like he did in Augusta and in um, Tulsa. Yeah, I think I think he's been gearing up for it. He's probably healthier because he's a little bit more rested. He's been over there now for a couple of weeks. He's acclimated. Uh, weather-wise, it's not going to be super cold to hurt him. It's not going to be super hot to hurt him. The, the lay of the land isn't so horrible. As long as he doesn't get any crazy situations where he's got really awkward stances, I think he'll make the cut. Maybe make a little bit of noise on Saturday, get people excited, but I don't think he'll contend. All right, sprint spot number two. Rather see it dry, hard, and fast or windy, wet, and treacherous this weekend? Mm, fast. I kind of like the windy, wet, and treacherous myself just because that seems to be like I remember as a kid watching it and it just being ridiculous sideways rain. That's kind of fun for me to watch these guys have to suffer through that. Um, But I know it's probably going to be dry, hard, and fast, and I don't have a problem with that. All right, sprint three. The hole from your Mount Rushmore that you most want to conquer to take off of those. Number five at Boulder. (laughs) Number five at Boulder. I would say for me, I kind of semi felt better about 16 at the mines. I, I think it, oh boy, I'm going to go look back at my list. Um, we don't ever play there anymore, but I, maybe I would if I could conquer it as Cedar Chase. Because Cedar Chase is actually a pretty decent golf course. I mean, it it's it's a pretty fun layout. It's a pretty tough course, but it's other than that hole, it's pretty fair. So I would say I would go with that one. Or better yet, number five from Thorn Apple Point. That's the one I really mm-hmm. want to conquer because... That hole sends me on my way. Last year, I had a 101 this year there. I had a 98 last year. My scores suck there. But it's an awesome course to play because of the planes, trains, and automobiles. All right, and sprint spot number four. Looking a little bit ahead for a couple weeks for part of this question, but what makes you more nervous? Michigan State's O-line or it's secondary? It's O-line. I agree with that. I think the secondary, which we'll get into in a couple weeks, has, has made the... The changes, it's got more experience, it's got more depth. Um, the O-line, great experience in the starting five, six-ish, but then it's it's a wild card, and you know that more guys are going to have to play. No offensive line stays cohesive the entire year. Um, 
and you don't have a Kenneth, you know, a canine and a Kenneth Walker that can kind of protect it a little bit. And Michigan State's going to have to pass a little bit more, so they're at least going to have to be pretty good at, at pass protection. So I would agree, whole line. All right, Ryan, close us up. Uh, yeah, give us some ideas of you know brackets you want to hear. Um, you know, any golf questions? If you have your conference stuff, um, let us know. Um, if you want to, you know, get involved um, in our preseason picking for football that we'll probably be doing here in about two or three weeks um, starting up you can do that Um, we'll talk about that later but yeah appreciate you guys listening shout out to our sponsor team anders Um, if anyone else has any sponsor ideas or you want to sponsor let me know we'd be happy to have you give you a shout out do a trade or something Um, but yeah appreciate you guys listening pound that like button leave a comment tell us we suck tell us we're good whatever you think Um, yeah we're cheap and pretty easy to work with, I would say, from a from yeah, I would say from a sponsorship so. standpoint. So you get a pretty good impressions for your buck, or if you want to trade for something, like Ryan said, go for it. Reach out to Ryan, let him know he's our business manager. And like to echo what he said, shout out to Team Manager Realtors, Jim, Donna, Tim, Sean, and team. Um, fantastic people, fantastic realtors. The market is still good before the interest rates really go crazy with inflation. So you're getting's good now. Get a hold of them at teamanders.com. Meantime, as Sir Henry Cotton once said, winning the Open Championship can turn a good player into a star, but winning the Open at St. Andrews can turn a great player into a legend.